0: what's up coaches how you guys doing uh we just got to do the eastern oklahoma offensive line and defensive line camp uh, had a lot of fun these last couple of days getting to do that i uh, got to see a lot of our former guests like J.R. conrad uh coach montgomery uh, Jerry Ostrowski, who's, who's done one, and, and you guys will hear that in the future. Uh, Coach Alexander obviously was there. So it was really great to be around some, some awesome football minds, offensive line guys, kind of sharpen that tool and get to see some really good offensive line play and defensive line play from this, around the state of Oklahoma. So it uh, w- was really awesome getting to do that. Uh, this episode of the podcast is brought to you by Team Attack Academy. Team Attack Academy is an online football development site for football players and coaches of all levels. It's the most powerful teaching tool introduced into the game today to raise the level of playing and coaching football. After using Team Attack Academy, your athletes and coaches will outplay, outwork, and outsmart their opponents guaranteed. You can visit them at TeamAttackAcademy.com. This episode is also brought to you by the powerful Sideline Power. Sideline Power is the industry leader in coaching communication offering cutting-edge technology and innovation. Sideline Power helps coaches around the country elevate their programs to the next level with the new and used headsets, end-zone cameras, drones, portable sound systems, timers, and much, much more. Um, Sideline Power is also uh, going to be having a clinic next year, so make sure you guys are are, uh, looking out for that. Follow those guys uh, on Twitter, uh, Sideline Power. They're gonna have a, um, like I said, a clinic, which we're really excited to get to go to. Uh, gonna have a lot of awesome guests there. Uh, it's gonna be, it's gonna be, it's gonna be awesome, right? It's gonna be powerful. <laughs> uh, so throughout the expansion of their product offering, Sideline Power has remained committed to offering quality coaching communications at price points for every single program. They're family-owned and operated with a customer-first mentality. Sideline Power is truly the number one choice for coaching communication. You can visit them at sidelinepower.com, email them at info@sidelinepower.com, at or you can call them at 800-496-4290. Uh, last but not least, guys, don't forget you can go check out my week power course over on CoachTube, along with a, a ton of different courses. As, as I've talked about, uh, I, we love giving out free stuff, free stuff on YouTube through our podcast, and, and so do so many other coaches. So many other great. Podcast um, out there, Coach Mackey and and AFCA's inside the headset. Uh, love all the free stuff that that we can we can give and get. Uh, but sometimes it's nice to go on Coach Tube, uh, pay for a course and have everything you want to know. Or you want to know about Coach Malzon's offense, you can go there and learn exactly about his offense. You don't have to search for hours right? Because time's a resource as well. So it's nice to have all of that exactly where you know it's going to be right in in one course, go through the files, work your way through it and learn it. Obviously with with a bunch of other stuff, offensive line uh, with guests that we're going to have on, offensive linemen, coach Singleton that's been on there, There's stuff for receivers, uh, defensive guys, uh, whatever you can think of. And it's all put in one little area, one easy to use, easy to uh, process um, course. So Go check some of those courses out, too, on on CoachTube.com. And that is going to do it for the reads for today. On today's episode of RTP, we talk with Jay Pond. Coach Pond is the offensive line coach at Northwestern State University in Louisiana. Listen as we talk with Coach Pond about his football journey from Texas A&M to where he is today, lessons for all coaches in recruiting, offensive line, and building relationships, and an in-depth conversation about his favorite run play, Inside Zone. He had a lot of really good stuff to say about Inside Zone, a lot of tweaks that you can use off of it, a lot of the the footwork and a lot of the technique that they use for a lot of different things in their Inside Zone. I, I know a lot of people, especially the, the spread teams, love Inside Zone and, and all the different variations off of it. This is a great episode for that. Uh, you guys can follow Coach Pond on Twitter, at Pond 53 Hope you guys enjoy. We're here with Coach Pond. Coach, uh, if you want to kind of want to give us all a background of, of um, you know, kind of your rate, your rise through, um, through football and coaching and, and kind of how you got now to, to the uh, position that you're at now.
1: Uh, well, I played football at uh, Texas a and University. I actually walked on there. Um, ended up earning a scholarship. Uh, Was R.C. Slocum's last recruiting class and then with Coach Fran. Uh my old line coach was JB Grimes and then the the late Jim Bob Belduzer. Um, you know, uh, enjoyed my time there. Feel like it's the best school in the country, of course. And then um, you know, kinda through through luck, ended up having to volunteer our offensive line GA got a offensive coordinator job in the J C ranks in Texas and Jim Bob asked me to help out and you know my career track just kind of went to that, so I've uh, been doing that uh, ever since. I went from, I coached there at A M, and m then I was a grad assistant position coach at Sol Ross out in Alpine, Texas, a Division three program, and then spent eight years at Trinity Valley, uh, one of the best junior colleges in the nation, actually. Uh, we led offensive statistics for Five or so years, pretty much almost 70 points and 700 yards a game, dead gum near, uh, for a good while. Uh, So then uh, our head coach got a job as an offensive coordinator at Northwestern State. He's from Natchitoches originally. Went to grad school there. He actually coached there with the now head coach, Brad Laird. They were uh, GAs there together, and he was kind enough to bring me along with him. So that's kind of how I ended up there.
0: Texas, we just went to Texas A&M uh, last year. Is the first time I ever went there. Now, I went to college in Houston, and I know a lot of buddies went up to um, Texas A&M uh, um, on the weekends, but I had never visited. So we got to go down last year as a coaches um, for one of the big, I think it wasn't officially Texas A&M's uh, coaches Clinic, but it was a coaches Clinic down there. And uh, you're right. I know every, every Texas guy talks very highly about, you know, whatever school they're talking about. But uh, we got to visit Texas A&M, and it's, um, it's kind of one of, you know, on its own a little bit. It's, it's huge. It's grand. It's got the uh, course right on, right on campus. It was, uh, it was a pretty awesome experience.
1: Yeah, they, uh, it's obviously a lot different now than it was when I was there. Um, you know, Coach Sun did a hell of a job of building it up and getting uh, just massive, massive stadium. Now, I mean, the whole the whole south end zone wasn't there when I was there. Um, you know, but it's it's awesome, man. I can't tell you, and it's just one of those deals. It's such a huge school, but you truly feel you you feel like it's a small small town, honestly, when you're there. Except when you're in traffic, of course, because traffic does suck there. But it's just a great place it's a great place and you know I'm looking forward to it actually our first game this year at Northwestern we're going to A&M to go play uh, go play in college stations that's going to be kind of fun I never thought I'd ever have to coach against my alma mater but uh, you know looking forward to it. it's going to be a good time.
0: Yeah that would be um, I would I would assume that'd be kind of cool to get to go back uh, coach against somewhere that you earned a scholarship and, and that's something that um, you know, now, obviously, the media is really big. They, they talk all about it, and they've got really cool, special ways that they uh, give scholarships to some of these walk-on kids. Uh, was it like that for you, or did, did Coach just kind of bring you in and say, hey, now you're on scholarship?
1: Uh, it was actually a phone call. Uh, Jim Bob gave me a call, and he said, hey, just want to let you know so- uh, of course, I was like, "Well, thank you." You know, I tried to keep my cool inside. I'm screaming because <laughs> a dream come true. But no, no, no fun, uh, no fun team meeting or or you know, Gronk and Danny Amendola giving me a call, something cool like that. No, it was just a, it was just a simple phone call and a, hey, uh, yeah, we're gonna put you on. Be sure you graduate. yes sir that's exactly right (laughs) yes sir (laughs) (laughs) so one of those deals but uh no it was it was a dream come true for me i mean i'm one of the few guys that i wanted to go to a&m it was you know i love the school i was at i bleed maroon and white just one of those things i i don't know how many kids truly love or fall in love with the programs they're in these days just because it's such a media market media frenzy i mean it was it's just one of those deals. I, I absolutely love it. I wear my Aggie ring every day. It never comes off my finger. It's uh, I just bleed maroon. I really loved it. So that was a huge deal for me, no doubt.
0: That's right. The Aggies are a, a little different. They got that whole first, and and it's probably not the right thing to say, but that whole first whatever month of of I don't want to say brainwashing, but um, getting the kids <laughs> to really buy into uh, Texas A and M way of life. I don't know if that was that was always the case, but I know that's the stories that I hear. Uh, now just a whole week or month whatever it is of of getting them initiated into the Texas A&M way and and I've always thought that was cool too because I went to Houston and there's no bag on it and I wouldn't have gone anywhere else but for the majority of the kids there it wasn't anyone's first choice it it, it wasn't kids I want to go to University of Houston since they were kids you know a couple in the area but for the most part they wanted to go to OU they wanted to go to Texas Texas A&M and you know and they kind of they didn't make it there so they went to Houston and loved it but yeah um this not wasn't their dream their whole life and I've always thought that would have been a a cool thing to be able to do is is look up to coaches your whole life growing up and then be able to go play for that program and, and now like you said now you're coaching against that program
1: well yeah you know and I mean that's Houston's a good school you know Art did a hell of a job bringing that place up I mean it was dominant back in the day I mean I've you know Lord, some of the guys that came out of there from the 80s and the 90s, Lord, it was unbelievable. But, uh, I mean, just to see where it's at now, after Bryles, after Sumlin, I mean, I, I, I'm very excited about what they do now, especially Coach Applewhite. I think, uh, I think he's going to do a hell of a job. I really do. They've got some great players. One of our coaches actually just left their practice. He got to go watch. We're on spring break right now, so he got to go watch their practice. That their D lines is absolutely monstrous. So obviously, with Ed O there and whatnot. So that's right. It's good school, and yeah, you know, it's going to be tough going into College Station. But you know, they I, I sent them an email and told them that I'd be glad to be the head coach of A and M for fifty k. You know, and they went ahead and paid Jimbo ten million. I I'm kind of mad about that. So I'm going down there for a little revenge. Going to beat them up a little bit. So they could have made a made a good deal and had me there as head coach. You know what I mean? That's right. <laughs> Co- uh, coach how
2: coach, you talk you know, you at the college level. How how important is that to you? I mean, you, you've talked about how much, you know, you, you love the school you were at. Uh how important is it to recruit kids that, you know, are, are excited to, to be at the school you're at or excited to, to play football? Because it seems like a lot of kids nowadays kind of get caught up in, in that hype. You know, it, every single kid that goes on Twitter now thinks they can play at, at Texas, thinks they can play at, at Texas A M and it's it's obviously great to have some dreams and things like that but at the same time you know the the five offers that you do get or even the one offer that you do get you got to you got to be pretty excited about that i know coach harper's talked about that but you know college football's a job and i and i think that that's probably got to be one of the things that you're probably really selling those kids on
1: college football definitely is a job and these kids don't realize it you know i think my my years were kind of first when I mean, we you know rga today and him, they would look through our Facebook and look through our MySpace, of course, back to that day, you know, and end up, uh, and be sure things weren't up, they didn't need to be up and things like that. And that's a big deal, you know, this day and age. looking at the Twitter, seeing how kids interact. I mean, look at the, look at the crap that that gentleman's going through for, um, from, um, uh, oh, whoever just won a nice championship, uh, Villanova, that yeah. poor kid who dropped 30 in the game and all anybody wants to talk about is his tweets he tweeted out in 2013 and 14. He didn't even know any better. You know what I mean? They're going back and, and looking through that. So, yeah, it's, it's a hard deal to stay in age to recruit because not only do you have to get kids excited about your program, I mean, you got to get them excited about you. And as much as it's so easy to get at these kids from Twitter, you know, text messages, whatever you have, you guys do a great job of selling you and selling not only just, you know, your program, but the legacy that you can leave. And that's something that we deal with. Obviously right now we're in a, a, a building phase of our program in Northwestern State and everything is about, you know, yes, there's going to be some bigger offers you may get, but you're coming to be, you know, memorialized. You're coming to do something and end up on walls, end up on posters and end up in record books. That's going to last a lifetime and not just the, a flash in the pan. Do you want to be a guy or do you want to be the guy, you know? And that was one of the fun things about junior college. Not only do I recruit kids to junior college, but I also have to get kids recruited out, you know? So I got to see both sides of that sword. And I think it definitely helps now recruiting. But I tell you, you know, there's, there's a lot of guys out there that they just look for certain numbers, certain heights, certain talents, and they're not just recruiting the guy. And that's what kind of always bugged me is I had some of the best O-linemen to come through there, and because they were an inch too short or just a little light, some guys wouldn't take a chance on them. But whoever did take a chance ended up loving them they knew how to play for a winning program. And that's something that I find very important nowadays, recruiting kids who come from winning programs, who know what it's like to win and want to work. And I think, to me, that's the hardest thing recruiting these days, kids truly don't understand what like you said it's a job that unequivocal work ethic I don't think they really understand what that really entails until they're finally in it. So getting kids to come from big programs like Allen's you know um, North Shores places like that where you can get them in Texas. Those are big deals. So is that something that you
0: kind of look for, obviously, is the kids that are maybe a couple inches shorter, like a six-foot offensive lineman, coming from a school that, you know, maybe doesn't get the pick of the litter, obviously. They're going to, you know, the four and five stars, and and the bigger guys are going to go to the Texas Texas A&M. So are you looking for the guys that, that, you know, slip through the cracks and guys that you say, hey, look on film, these guys win, but um, when we go measure them and we go run their 40s, uh, the other, the big guys, if you will, aren't looking at them. Uh, is that the kind of guys you're looking for? Or are you looking for guys that are maybe six-six but weren't very good, and guys that you think you can
1: develop? Yeah, I mean, there's no doubt. I, I I'm, <laughs> I'm a hard guy. to Ask this question because I'm the idiot who I'll still go after a kid who's getting recruited by some of the lower FBS schools, and just try to get him to fall in love with me and my process and my players. Uh, and that's just kind of a, uh, to build that bond with them. Cause there's a kid right now, absolutely love him. He's starting to heat up, but I've been on him for so long. You just hope that that bond is going to last and going to get you through. Now, obviously I'm not going to sit there and battle an A&M on a kid, but you know, a lower FBS program, you've got to have the, you try to have the balls to go out there and really try to get after kids like that, because those kids may change your program around. You get one of those kids, even if you go after 15 of them, if you get one kid like that who can be a three-year, four-year starter for you, you've made a huge difference. That's a big deal in your program at this level. You know what I mean? So there's no doubt. We we go out there and look for the guys who may have been tight ends, who just you know were a step too slow, make them a tackle, stuff like that. But I'm greedy. So, I mean, that's how <laughs> – That's how we got Trinity Valley rolling. We went after guys who we had no, you know, there there was no sense in us going after, but we got them to believe in what we were doing, what we were preaching, our attitude, our culture. And they bought in and look where it got us being one of the most dominant programs in the country, five straight conference titles. That's just kind of how things worked out for us. So that's what we're taking here, you know, at this new approach with uh, the, the OC, the new head coach, here in Northwestern, you've got to really get after those kids who may, you know, they're going to be in those tweener schools. They may be local kids. They may get offered by a small FBS program in Texas or Louisiana. You just got to get them the to buy into what you're selling and your brand and your culture. And that's what these kids are looking for. Some of these kids come from programs. They never had anything close to that. Mm-hmm. You know, so you just got to get build that relationship with them.
2: I think it goes a long way, too, because, I mean, you, you never know. I mean, college football has become a pretty transit business as well. Coaches keep leaving, uh, and, and it's, it's trickling down because now you're seeing more and more kids transfer. So you still have that good relationship with a kid who is maybe going to an upper-tier FBS school. All of a sudden now he's looking. He's not playing as much as he wants to. He wants to change his scenery, and he goes back to the guys that he kind of trusted to begin with. And all of a sudden now maybe you pick up a transfer kid as well.
1: No doubt, and that you know that's a lot of what's happening in the the conference, in the Southland Conference. You know, some of the schools they live and die by the big-time Power Five transfers who just come in. But that's what I'm trying to get done is I want to get those kids to just go and believe in it in the beginning, and not sit there and have to go through that whole transfer process. Hmm. That's what you want to have happen. But there's no doubt it's hard. It's hard to get them to see what you know you're going to build. But and that's what you know our record speaks for itself with our offense and. We've been playing with top-tier Division One talent before, you know, I and mean, we've had a lot of guys go to Division One from our J.C. offense. So, looking forward to bringing that whole thing here with us. But it's difficult. It's difficult, man. you got to get kids to just believe. And it's such a day and age where they're getting barraged with information. I mean, look at what that cell phone they hold in their hand is a key to anything they want. Coaches are getting after them left and right. So you got to battle. you got to battle well. But uh, there's no doubt. Getting those transfers is huge. We're trying to circumvent that and get them to come in now. We're, we're taking risks and going after bigger guys that some people may think dumb for trying and putting forth effort. But like you said, you never know. You never know what that relationship you're building now is going to matter to that kid, to that kid's head coach when he has another kid come through. You're like, hey, this guy went here. He didn't really like it. But this guy over here, man, he needs to listen to what he has to say. You just never know what's going to happen. So you got you to work each kid like they're going to be the best thing to ever come through your program.
0: Coach, something I've always been interested in, and it's something I've read in Urban Meyer's book, and I know Tom Herman's talked about it a lot, is, is what do you do to get the buy-in from the kids that are already on the team, and now you've come in as a new coach? And I've got to think that that was uh, something that you researched quite a bit, being at uh, Trinity Valley for whatever, eight or nine years, it was something you didn't have to do. And then all of a sudden you, you made the switch, um, I would assume it's something that you, you really thought about, you really looked into. What were some of the things that you looked to try to do to get the buy-in from the kids that have been there, you know, through some of the other coaches, the offensive linemen that you inherit?
1: We wanted to bring something just as far as the attitude. You know, everything about us is we call it, you know, eat, effort, attitude, and tempo. And uh, we got – we started doing it with uh, Clay Patterson. Who was a he was our OC at uh, Trinity Valley, became the head coach in EO. Now he's the tight ends coach for PJ Fleck up at uh, Minnesota. So it's just effort, attitude, and tempo. And it's just bringing a level of excitement and enthusiasm and not just where it's just football, it's about every part of our, all, of our lives. So we had the total overhaul, bring an entire change about just of, from academics. From you know, everything. I mean, Coach Laird has us on about their academics, about their social lives, just trying to get them to understand that this is a an opportunity to completely reinvent an entire, you know, facade of a team. We want to be something that this program has never had happen to them before. And that is a completely dominant dynasty type atmosphere where it's a belief of we're going to beat everyone we play no matter who it is yes we're going to Kyle Field on August 30th but we're going to beat them we're going to win we want them to believe they can win and it's no doubt it's difficult but you just got to you've got to start all over from the very beginning spell the word football teach them what an A and B gap is you don't take anything for granted And I think with that attitude of starting from the very scratch back from building the foundation for the foundation. You just got to start from the very beginning. And I think that's a lot of work. But in the end, it's going to pay huge dividends. You got to Coach, let them know you believe. Coach,
2: I was just going to say, you know, you're coming from, from Trinity, um, I would imagine you guys had to keep the offense simple for a variety of reasons. Obviously, you're only going to have guys for two seasons. So in order to get those guys to, to be able to get on the, the field right now, the offense has to be simple. Obviously, you guys were going really, really fast. Also has to be simple. So I guess I'm, I'm kind of curious, you know, moving that to, you know, a four-year school and things like that. You know, how, how simple do you guys keep it? How, how, how easy is your guys' install? How many days can you guys get your offense installed? I guess I'm just kind of curious as to that because I've always thought to me, you know, guys that have coached in the junior college level, they, they really get offensive football because they have that shortened timeline you know, in in having to to teach kids?
1: No doubt. We – our entire install is done in five days. It's done in five days, and and, and we're rolling. The fun thing about us, it's an RPO offense. Everything is based off of the inside zone, and we play off of that. So we have, you know, we have 15 different ways around the inside zone in the backfield, but to up front, all you hear is the same code words. So you're hearing – what we have for zone left and zone right. But in the backfield, to the action, to the linebackers, and safeties, it's going to look like 110 different things. And that's the fun thing about the RPO offense. What do you tell the safeties? What do you tell the outside linebackers? Read the run, but keep your keys. Well, what if the safety carry, you know, what if number three carries vertical? You're going to turn and run, don't let them behind you, but you still got to have the C gap, you know, so it puts them in a huge bind. They don't know what to do, where they're reading. So, our install is simple, and we got a lot of it. I tell you, from going and watching Coach Browse at Baylor, kind of figuring out what they were trying to get done and accomplish, and I think a lot of guys waste a lot of time trying to be too complicated, having too Mm -hmm. much stuff. With what you do, if it works, run it. Run it until they can't do it anymore. You know what I mean? So, they try to stop you. You keep going. You do the same thing and run it right down their throat until they figure out a way to stop you. And that's why, you know, we have tried hard to simplify, simplify, simplify. So, you know, with some motions and some different formations, it may look like a lot, but to our players, it's really simple. It's really simple. It's rule-based. It's uh, exciting to see them when it finally clicks after day eight, day nine on practice, and they're starting to get it, it just goes really smoothly. And the more you do it, you know, we get a ton of reps in practice. It's a no huddle offense. So it's fast, fast, fast. The more you do it, the more you figure it out. When they finally kind of have that click moment and you see it in every one of your players. Once or twice, you just start seeing a man just goes at a different speed. And that's when you know you finally got it in them. And the tempo of it, is what really saves us. You're going to try hard to try to find out what we're going to be trying to do from a defensive standpoint of key in the linemen, key in the backs, and that's just going to screw you up. Because once we figure out what you're reading, now we're going to go the complete opposite of what you've been reading and catch you in it. And you're not going to know what to do. And I think, to me, with running our offense and keeping it simple as we possibly can, it allows us to play more physical and faster than anybody else in the country, and I think that's what's going to make us very formidable for anyone to stop.
0: Well, and then like you said, as many times as you guys run zone, I'm sure in practice, especially it being up tempo and that being your your um, you know your bread and butter play, it, it would have to be really cool I would assume to to see your guys pick up some of these slants, some of these uh, exotic blitzes that people are going to bring because. You know, they get a major's degree in inside zone. So Now now yeah. your center can work. Hey, if you've got a three technique front side, I'm looking at the three, but then banging back into the shade if they've got a team that wants to, you know, spike the shade over and bring the linebacker back side. Now he's working with, you know, three different guys, and you got so many different calls, and it's got to be cool when they finally stake that off and you hit it for a big play after working it all week. Um, I would assume you guys get to hit a bunch of those because, like you said, you major in that one play. And and so, in practice, you don't have to teach a whole lot of, of different plays. You get to get really specific on some of the, the run blitzes or the slants that teams like to use against you. Now you're picking those up in the game.
1: Right. Every and, and every team tries to do something different to try to stop what you're trying to do, of course. You know I mean? And I think that's the biggest deal for us is when we're able to figure out what they're trying to do to stop our inside zone, and play off of that, that's what we can really hurt guys. And there's no doubt. when With doing a simplistic offense, it's easy for you to teach the little nuances of the thing of watching the knee, seeing if the knee comes at you from the front side of the combo and whamming it flat and climbing vertical. Being sure that you are playing your best angles, it allows you to do a whole lot and practice a whole lot as far as what they might see. So when you are calling a simply simplistic game I mean it just makes it easier for you to be able to nitpick on the little little things which equal big victories man being able to stop three technique slants gap exchange blitzes when you can play off those and that's what guys go to to try to stop your run you're going to catch them you're going to catch them where it really hurts and they're going to be stopping you for four or five yards you know a clip but you know, you're know, you going to break a 40. You're going to break a 50 after a couple of times because they're going to, we're going to catch them out of it. And I think, no doubt, if you keep it simple, they learn how to run it. They learn how to run it effective. You're not sitting there trying to out-scheme guys because they're trying to out-scheme you. And that's what's fun about tempo offense. You can't do a lot of exotic blitzes. You can't do a lot of twists because you've got to play base just to keep up what we're trying to do. That's why Baylor was able to still... Everybody thought Baylor was air-raid, air-raid, but Hell, they led the nation in rushing yards per carry for a lot of years. I mean, Coach Clem did a great job with that offensive line. Uh, you know, he's now in Houston. Those guys did a great job. And just getting there to watch them and see how simplistic idea it was just to keep basic and let them play fast, let them play physical. You just kind of sit there and think, why, what, why you know, why don't we spend so much time in the film room? It's that easy. Let's just go out effort. Out effort. And it works. Coach, What you said you guys have, what, you said 15 different ways you're on inside zone. Is that right? Yeah, something about.
2: What, what, uh, what do you, would you say are kind of your favorite change-ups? I mean, are you guys folding the backside? or are you guys locking the backside and throwing RPOs off the, of we, a linebacker? Yeah. What, what are some of your favorite ones that you guys do to change it up?
1: I love locking the backside so the, the quarterback can read the linebackers. Uh, I love folding the backside. A lot of it is just in our backfield action. Just a lot of crisscross action with, you know, where you're getting a fly. You're getting a fly sweep read from a motion, but we're still running the inside zone. But now the fly sweep is now the bubble guy to the backside for your RPO. I mean, it just keeps them flat-footed as defenders. So I love the crisscross action in the backfield, both from the pistol and from the two-back gun. Uh, It just makes it so difficult for linebackers, for safeties, to truly get a bead on where the downhills come to. You know what I mean? Yeah. Uh, I think that that just makes them flat-footed and scared. They're wide-eyed and looking. And then once you catch them on that, now you're going to throw the dump pass behind them on RPO, and now they're going to look real bad. No, I agree, man. I think that – Yeah. I just – I just started last year. Um, with a lot of teams playing a lot more 4-I than true 5s in their odd fronts. I love the fold technique. I'm trying to – I want to keep it to where it's just a rule-based situation where it's not a play call per se. But Agreed, yeah. getting harder and harder with like that. But I think that having the fold, having the lock, it just – because they're reading down block, linebackers are filling. It's just fun. It's just an easy little quick nuance to keep everything looking like inside zone, but reading one guy. All the quarterback has to do is read one guy, and we're going to make him pay.
0: What are you doing with that backside tackle on that on that fold against that 3-4? Because, you know, I think you, you would uh, solo up the center on the nose, uh, but then obviously you've got to be um, aware that maybe the nose slants into the guy that's folding around. So do you, you teach him to, to eye that and try to get all the way around the slant backside, or just? be tight, get up underneath the slant?
1: We're going to be tight and get up underneath. What we're going to do is we skip. We're going to skip pull it, where it's straight vertical back, let the guard completely clear, and then get vertical downhill. The backside linebacker. I teach them if that slant, when they skip back, the first thing I'm looking for is that nose's knee. If the knee comes at me, then you can step two, hand help so the center can come with you. Because if he's coming in that gap, Chances are likely that wheel is going to be kind of floating. Right. So we've got a little time. We've got a little bit more time than we normally would. So he can hand help with the center let the center get the bearings. And then his eyes are always, of course, once they get to the knee, they go right to the backer. So if the knee comes at me, eyes on the backer, hand help, and then work with the center and then climb vertical quickly, and the running back will cut off the center to the front side because that's his key. If they're an odd front, it's straight to the center's block. That's what they're reading the running backs, basically. So if he goes one way or the other, he's going to bend it front side. Uh, but without a doubt, the more depth we can get back with the tackle and the skip pull, it's better. The only time that fold really doesn't work, tackles will try to shallow pull that and they'll turn their shoulders and it just won't be clean. You've got mm-hmm. to get back, let it clear, and then get vertical downhill. So that running, the, the linebacker, he's going to make a decision front side or back side. You get to pin him, and he's going to be wrong.
2: Yeah, see, I, lo- I love that, too. And, I mean, especially as, as much gap as we used to run, too. I mean, it was, it was a lot like how you teach the, the pulling guard. You know, if the, if you run one back power and the, the tight end doesn't win, we'd, we'd do the same technique. We'd clean it up, make the tight end a winner, you know, kind of the same deal. Make the make the center a winner, and the, the running back is going to make you right no matter what. Get the thing started, take care of the down dude. It makes the play a lot cleaner. I like how you're teaching that.
1: No doubt. And we, you know, and that's been the hardest part. when We play teams. You know, I played against teams whose offensive line they do true full zone. And, you know, I would love to see really good teams. You know, I talked to Coach Mahone. He was at, you know, two lanes, been at Cincinnati, uh, uh, been at Tennessee. Uh, now he's the o line coach over to east uh, eastern Carolina right now I think, and when he started out too lane they weren't a they weren't a full zone team they were you know what we call a zone zone where you're taking your flat step and, and getting vertical, but you know it's just true kind of like sweep right and sweep left hmm. uh, and and i've always wondered you know there's a lot of coaches that teach like that Where it's just we're taking our, our our bucket step right and that's how we're going to do it. whatever shows up in your gap that's what you're going to hit that's just hard to me to not have a definitive number about, hey, where we're set from, where we're going. And there's guys who do it and do it really well. I think a lot of that goes from just the athletes you have, especially you know when he went to Tennessee and he had those athletes that he had, he was able to just full zone teams. And wherever you step, whatever comes in, you can grab it and maul it and get after it. But I don't know. That's always been a big question for me, like you said. And I, I just can't do it a gap scheme. You know, yes, we're responsible for a gap in zone, but it's still kind of a man-block play because you just have covered, uncovered principles. But I I don't know. I've always wanted to find a guy who does it full zone just to see how they teach it. Because a few schools in our conference at the JC level did it, and they did it pretty good. They did it pretty good. But I don't know. That's that's something that I think, and and a lot of it it happens a lot more in the north than it does in the south from what I've seen. A lot of high schools just kind of watching high school highlight films and such. But I don't know. Uh, I can't do it like that. I've never been able to figure out how they get it done. There's just too many variables in that way. So I'm a big proponent. Uh, We're going to be physical in the down line, and we're going to know exactly what down line we're handling, and let's handle them first. Even if we don't get to the second level, that's still going to be a four-yard game. Four times three is 12. That's first and 10. We're going to do it again. (laughs)
0: That's right. See, that's the way I've always coached it, too, and I think it's always the way I've been coached. But I think we saw – and maybe I was completely wrong because I wasn't looking that much, but we played Southlake Carroll, and they seemed to be, um, you know, kind of get on their tracks and, and roll through their tracks and, and pick up whatever they picked up. Now, again, I wasn't studying their offense, but uh, it was pretty cool to see that. Um, at Houston, when I was there, we had the, you know, get the doubles, get vertical movement when we could, and then when we went up-tempo, it was just tracks. Hey, when we're when we're going really up-tempo, when it was as fast we can, now, 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 you know, 5.02, let's go. Um, It was just, hey, pick a track and and go. So when you guys are extremely up-tempo, you're in your now package or or whatever that is, um, do you get a little bit less, hey, these are our guys who we're doubling to, just go to my zone, or you guys still, you run it so much that even when the defense isn't quite set, you can still get your good doubles up to your linebackers?
1: No doubt. We're still anticipating it to be the exact same way the entire game. We're going to be covered, uncovered, principled the whole time. Now, if we do catch when they're not lined up, then, of course, I teach them just to run your, to run your track. And whatever gets there, gets there. But we've yeah. scouted enough. You know who your three technique. You know who your nose is. You know who the four eye, who the stand-up end is. So, you know who you're generally going to be working for, working to. So, get to where you're going to be. You know, so you kind of got to have some smarts about you when you run on offense a little bit. But even in our no huddle stuff, when we're going 100% two-minute drill it, nothing changes for us assignment-wise. Can't do it. When they got to sit there and rethink and think another way, it makes them slow down. I'd rather than be just 100% go, 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 go with what we've been used to, every practice rep, everything, all the same.
0: And then the other big question I've always had, and, and it's just because I don't think I was ever taught it very well. It wasn't very definitive, so I'm always curious how people do it. But uh, you're going against like a 4-2 defense. You're the backside tackle and there's a shade to your side, so you're not helping the guard. So you're doing what we call the Houston, the sift technique. You're, you're punching the, the outside defensive end and then, and then coming off to this linebacker. Is there a way that you teach that uh, – maybe you guys don't even use that technique, but if you do, um, is there a way that you're teaching that tackle as far as how long he stays on it and then the angle he takes to get to that linebacker? Because it kind of seemed like when we did it, it was like the tackle was always wrong.
1: Yeah, we – We've had a lot of practice of that and we and I do teach the sift. It's a, it's a big weapon in our arsenal. And a lot of it is dictated by where the linebacker is at. If yeah. that linebacker is stacked or in that big gap, man, you've got to just hand help to keep the end wide and then go get it because our hat always has got to get to the play side and getting vertical on the linebacker. But your eyes are solely on the wheel. And that's where we've had a lot of success with because. In this RPO offense, what teams love to do is they love to bounce the wheel backer outside the box. So they're trying to make you think that he's plaguing out there over number three. But in reality, his eyes are still right there in the b gap. Hmm. So he's still a big gap inside the box player. So doing that, we're able to really hammer the end, help out. I teach near foot, near hand a lot of times. So we're going to step left foot, left hand. If we're on the left side, right up field. Keep that end wide, and I'll have my tackle extend his width a little bit so that they know we're going to keep get him away from the party. So we'll take a bigger split, a four-foot split, to kind of keep him away. And then it allows us more room to work with the wheel and the running back to work behind us as well. So near foot, in your hand, eyes on the backer. He engages, and we're getting off, re- free release, and go. If he runs and skates out to the flat, just sit there and hook the end, lock the end. Now we're five for five and probably scoring touchdown. <laughs> That's right.
2: No, I love I love the way that you teach that, and like you said, I mean, it, it depends on where the guy's lined up. So, I mean, if he's outside the box, yeah, you're sifting it. If he's in the box, it's going to be really, really minimal contact on the end, and he's gone. So, I think
1: I, I like think yeah, as long as you keep the end from not being able to play heel line and quarterback all at once. Yes, you're good. He can't play diving quarterback at the same time. So those tackles that just kind of escape the end to get to the linebacker, that's dead-ass wrong. You're screwing your quarterback. You're screwing your running back. You've got to protect the width of the pocket. Tackles protect the width. Guards protect the depth. Always got to protect that. Keep that end away from the party. Like I said, and then you've got plenty of time. All you got to do is get to the linebacker. The running back will make you right by his cut either way he goes you mm-hmm. got to get there in between him and the running back. That's it. So now, keep the do, N.Y. and then go. Do you let
2: him sift? I mean, is, it, is that is that only going to be if the guy's down in a shade? What what if the guy's in, say, a two-eye? Are you still sifting nah, it? Are you putting the guard on the island? Or are you bringing him with and you guys will, will combo it?
1: If he's head up to inside the guard, it's a sift all the time. Okay. That guard better to handle that guy by himself. You know, if he's. Okay. If he slants, he slants. Now, now I will say this. If he's in a two-eye, the tackle is looking at the knee. If the two-eye's knee comes at me, he's disengaging from the sift, he's whamming the two-eye and the guard, and they're going to double vertical.
0: So, now, if he had now. that two-eye and he's looking at the knee, now would he still be – let's say he's left tackle. Would he still be stepping yep. with his left foot or would he now be moving right foot first in case that two-eye's knee comes at him?
1: I'm still stepping near foot, near hand to the end. Okay. I'm still stepping near foot, near hand to the end. And a lot of that's also dictated by the backer's alignment. If the backer is shading in, that two-eye yeah. has a lot more reluctance to come to the B gap instead of the A gap. Right. You know, so we're, we're reading our keys and looking, but to me, I'm having faith that my guard's going to get it done. Even if it's, an, even if it's a cross-face move, his six inch second step is getting the ground faster, and we're gonna take him where he wants to go if he's going that way. And that's just gonna widen the hole that this. So I think that's put a lot a great of faith point. in my guard to get it done. But when I have a six foot six, three hundred and ten pound guard, I'm pretty confident he could do that. <laughs> sure.
0: Yeah. Well, I think that's a great point, yeah. and I don't think you hear that enough as far as you, you just talked about you get that vertical six inch second step to to um protect against the slant and um, I, you know, we've got to go visit a couple of different colleges, and we've seen a couple of them that have extremely long uh, second steps that, that aren't very vertical, just, just to be frank. And it just looks like to me from everything I was, I've ever been taught and it's ever worked for me that they're just waiting to get, you know, a, a slant across their face because the guys that I've seen that are extremely good against the slant is those guys that can have a great, quick second step.
1: I think you've got to get to contact faster than anything. I mean, they're they're coming at you straight up the field. You've got to bring the contact to them. You've got to coach the offensive line with a defensive line attitude. We're going to take the fight to them. And that's what I always... You go to some programs, sit there and listen. You listen to offensive staff meetings and watch their film. They're just sitting there. What are we going to do if they give us this, this, and this? And that's just all it's about. With this offense, what we're trying to accomplish, you have to try to... You scheme us. You have to try to scheme what we're going to do. We're going to take the fight to you. Mm -hmm. And that's part of the attitude that we talked about earlier, just bringing it with these different kids. I want them to have the – we're going to beat the hell out of anybody that lines up against us attitude. And to me, when you get them in that mindset, their steps pick up pace. You You don't have to coach them as much on fixing those mistakes. They don't make them as much. When they start believing in what they're trying to get done, they listen to the coach and Magic things happen, man. It really does.
2: Yeah. If I'm, if I'm raging off the football and I'm getting my two feet in the ground and I'm hitting that guy as hard as I possibly can, I got a chance. Rather than me sitting there thinking, well, is he going to go across my face? Is the linebacker there? You know what? Screw it. I'm just going to get on my angle. I'm going to own it, and I'm going to freaking dominate this guy. To me, to exactly. me it's like – It's like you said, I mean, I I think sometimes, again, you know, kids understand it when it's simple. You know, coaches are the ones that make it complicated. (laughs) You know, hey,
1: knock the the hell out of that guy. All right, coach. (laughs) You can't. You can't. You've got – by your third step, you ought to be contacting and driving vertical as hard as you can on the inside zone. And I think if you get them to believe that, they get it in their mind, they've drilled it a thousand times of practice. By the time they get to the game, it's second nature. And you just go, go, go. So no matter what they line up in, whatever they give you, if it's something you've never seen, which is rare, <laughs> but even if it is, you abide by the rules and you get after it. Covered and curve principles, get vertical, we got a shot. We got a shot on any play.
0: And then the other big question I always have, coaching that normally depends on, obviously, uh, where the running back's looking to, to hit the inside zone. And, and there's a lot of different ways for different teams. But – you got a backside three technique. Uh, your guard and tackle are working. Uh, you know, they're double to their linebacker on a 4 2. Uh, what do you, how much is that guard giving presence? Obviously, it's a little bit dependent on where the linebacker is, but with how your running back hits it in your inside zone, how much can the guard give? And, and how much? I'm sure you guys work that a ton as far as maybe even when to use shoulder, when to use hand, and then how to get to that linebacker.
1: Well, we always. I always teach them it's always hand surface, it's never shoulder. And when you're lucky enough to play with guys with masks, you can do that. When you've got some high school kids who, you know, uh, who who may be smaller than normal, you've got a 240-pound lineman, they're going to have to give everything they got, you know, Mm -hmm. into it. But most of the time, it is heavy on the three, near near hand, near foot, and I want to keep their outside hand free. For linebacker. We're looking to get vertical movement all the way to the second level. I always coach my guys, I want you to block the down lineman into the linebacker's lap, cut their track off with the down lineman. So I would rather them stay heavy on the three and lose the linebacker than be too quick. Because if we're heavy on the three, chances are high we're gonna have a four foot, you know, a four-yard game. As long as we stay on our keys and on the backside. But I coach it to be as heavy as you, as you, as you can to where it's a last-minute get-off. Because, again, inside zone is an eight, front side A to backside a, eight, eight a to B play. They're going to make you right with their cut. And if you get the three taken care of, then you've got a good chance. And that's what a lot of teams do. They want to put the three to the backside of the zone, and they want to slant them across the face, and that's how they try to catch you. But they're just playing right in your hands to I me mean, if they try to do that.
0: What are you telling your tackle? Right what are you up. telling your tackle when they do that? Because obviously now they've taken away your sift. Are you telling them, hey, as soon as you see that knee go away, get really vertical and slow down, or or, or what are you telling them? You know, are you trying to win best yeah. both worlds if they get that?
1: Yep. If he goes inside a gap, if he goes inside the a gap, climb vertical now. Climb vertical now. Have your outside hand free, ready for the end. If he's trying to crash in as well, and they're playing a true pirate technique where it's a full yeah. gap exchange. And if that's the case, when you see that linebacker tracking outside, you turn out and you wham the end. Hmm. So now we lock the end, five-man box, probably scoring a touchdown.
2: Yeah, just lean, leaning back into the end, make sure he doesn't cross your face on the slant. What, okay, let's, let's say, again, I'm, I'm going to ask you about the tackles technique. So you guys are staying heavy on the three technique. So it's still the backside guard, backside tackle. So heavy on the three. What is the aiming point for the tackle? Since nine times out of ten, he's going to be the overtake guy. Is he trying to get his play. face to play side right. number, or is, he, or is he just going hip to hip and treating it like old school double?
1: He is helmet play side number.
2: Good. We're taking okay. a
1: flat step, i at play side number, keeping our outside hand free where we've got good leverage, and we're looking through the V of the neck, through the linebacker to the back. Okay. And then, well, I and want then, them to be hard across face to cut that off, and now we're hip to hip and getting a great vertical movement right there.
0: And then, obviously, the big question that always comes up with a team that is is a uh, you know up tempo team and and uh, spread RPO team is is you know we start talking uh, pass protection. So, you know, a, a thousand different ways that guys have have taught you know kick set or even the uh, vertical set or, or, you know, a lot of different ways to do it. How do you guys do it? How do you, how do you coach that, and, and how do you get the guys to, uh, obviously, get it done, get the, their pass sets down in practice?
1: You know, we've uh, – I've been very fortunate at Training Valley. We had a lot of just great athletes who were able to – you know, they were able to kick slide and get after it and get on their guys and, and set it up, you know, here. We've kind of had to roll it back, and we're going to have to really teach, and that's something that we've struggled with through this first half of spring ball is our pass test. We've gotten the job done, but it just hasn't been as efficient as you would like it to be. So that's something we've been cracking on uh, with me and my GA, trying to figure out exactly how we're going to coach it, what drill work we're going to be doing. Uh, I'm going to go back to a lot of what I saw with Coach Clem. uh, Coach Clemens was at Baylor, now at Houston. He does some great stuff with a five-by-five box as far as just taking great steps with your working the inside move, outside move, speed rusher as a three technique, and then he has different sets of the tackles as well. I think that you have to work hard to keep hand placement and work on striking ability more than anything. So many times nowadays kids come out of high school never having thrown a true punch in the pass protection game. They just sit back, latch on, and try to run them by. I've yep. had to uncoach that stuff so much. Hmm. And I don't know why kids don't want to throw punches, but we work punching technique on a daily, daily basis, keeping our inside hand low or outside hand high, punching meat in the middle. And a lot of guys, and this is something I'm looking forward to, to study, you know, this, uh, this summer. A lot of guys do the double under punch. Um, I know Coach Best did it when he was at SFA. Now he's the tight ends coach over there at Rice. Um, little Charles Bentley has talked about it, obviously. When you watch his technique tapes on his website, you know, I don't know. I, you've always been taught you don't give them your chest. And so it's, right. it's such a hard thing to, 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 to kind of retrain, I guess, in a little bit of more of an old-school technique. But I love punching with my fingers up, not my thumbs, to give a great hand surface and then grabbing and twisting when we make contact so that we're not just shooting through their armpit holes and, and missing. I don't know. I, that's just kind of what I've always taught my guys. We're inside hand low, outside hand high, the great inside lean, and we are skirting top of the grass with our cleats. We're not sliding. We're not dragging our front foot, but we're kicking six-inch steps and back. We get one out, and then we're straight back, and we want to keep that six inches of – balloon like you know those the old middle school dances where they used to put the balloons in between the kids to dance (laughs) that's kind of what I want to keep with my guys so when we need to we're able to keep our shoulders square and make contact good I don't ever want to open my shoulders that's another thing just turn and run stuff kills me the moment you open your shoulders especially the tackle position those defensive ends are are going to hurt you and they're missling right inside, whether it's your inside or your, your upfield or backfield shoulder, because they they want to work that half a man and get that hump. If you stay square, a lot of them, that's their key, and they're waiting on that to happen. And that's when they make their move. You can catch them, and they don't know what to do, how to react. You've got to stay square line of scrimmage all the way almost up to five yards back in our book. Um, and, you know, it's just something I'm going to have to. I'm going to have to uh, study up and learn a little bit more on. There's no doubt about it. But that's how I teach it currently. I like it. It works. But so many guys doing that double under stuff, it works. I mean, you're, you're listening to experts talk about it. I don't know. I don't know. I'm interested to learn more about it and see. So I'm hoping you- to be able to go out there to to, to, to Arizona sometime this, uh, this offseason, this summer, and, and, and get to see that firsthand with LaCharles.
0: Yeah, that'd be awesome. We just got to talk to him um and and it was uh it was awesome getting to hear just how passionate he was. Um uh, I know that in college I used we had a coach try to get us into using the double unders uh with pass pro or, you know, working from low to high. And I never really liked it at tackle, but I, when I moved into guard, I started using it against some of the heavier guys, some of the bull rush guys, and it was kind of kind of a thing that just personally I didn't use all the time, but was just kind of another tool that I would use. So if I had a, a big bull rush type guy, it was something I could use more where if I had the fast, quick guy, I like to use still the long arm stab and, and keep him away so I could try to stay an athlete and, and stay in front of him as good as I could. But something I've always said about the smaller the smaller schools, and, and just not all small, but like anything that's not power five, right, is that I, I've always thought they've got the best defensive ends, at least for pass rushing you know there's there's very few teams that need a big defensive end that, that can wrong arm power and all this so they put their guys that should probably be linebackers or really big safeties they put them at defensive end and now your tackles are are really have a big big job um you know as far as pass protection goes
1: no doubt i i agree with you i'm saying that's the same way at the jc level same way at the, at the division two level i think i think your best athletes are always going to be your defensive ends and your running backs, usually pound for pound, strength for strength. That's usually how it's going to go at these levels. And we, we've got a hell of a speed rush there. And that's kind of been one of the reasons why I'm sitting here kind of racking my brain about what I'm going to do to change and what we're going to fix to kind of be better prepared. But yeah, there's no doubt those defensive ends, at this level are monsters. There's some good ones, but you know, like, like you said, I, I mean, double under makes sense. I mean, logically you think about it, you watch it done. I mean, it makes sense. It's just the fear of, man, your chest is open for a split second. That's all they need. And but I mean, it it works. I'm looking forward to learning more about it for sure.
0: Well, coach, we're, we're coming up on an hour, so kind of the the thing that I always always end it with is, uh, you know, you've obviously been a coach for a long time, played, and and so you watch a lot of offensive line films. so and even obviously as a college coach, we don't talk to a whole lot of college coaches, but you've watched a lot of film of younger (laughs) offensive linemen in high school. So um, you're watching film, you're watching an offensive line. What's something they'd be doing that would make you think really highly of their offensive line coach?
1: I want to see the effort of of the first level. I want to see how good they handle the first level, and I want to see how good they punch. To me, that's such a lost art. Hmm. Guys so often today teach us, get your screws in the V of the neck. And I, I, don't, I don't want that. If your screws are in the V of the neck, you can't see the second level. You know, I want to see how well they use their hands and how well they handle the, the level one and get movement on it. I think to me that's a sign of if they handle level one with effort, and that was what a coach last year taught me, Coach Jay Stanford, head coach at Texas High. Sometimes you gotta just grade them on their effort. Are they playing hard for you? Because sometimes you're gonna have guys who aren't as good, and you may not be able to win a game. But how hard they play for you, to me, when you watch game tape and watch that, how hard those guys playing, that's the most important thing to me. And that's what makes me think, hey, I gotta, I gotta go meet this guy. You know, one of the. You've talked a lot of. Go ahead. Vance Vise at uh, at uh, Virginia Tech. To me, he's one of those guys. His lines from when he was at Monroe to Memphis to now Law Tech, his lines have always played just balls to the wall hard. It's always been impressive to me. Uh, I just that that aspect of a line is the most underrated aspect of anything, in my opinion. Yes, you can have Orlando Browns out there at Oklahoma who are just giants who will just make it work, and their length saves <laughs> them, and they're just huge. But imagine, imagine an Orlando Brown that played like a Kevin Mawai. You know what I mean? That played like a Stepnowski, the old center for the Cowboys. Uh, Eric Andelsek. Imagine a guy like – you know, that's, what, I'm, that's always what I always wonder. Is just that mad effort, that madman hair on fire effort. That stuff to me is that, – that's what shows a good old line coach, in my opinion.
0: That's
2: awesome. And I, may be I love wrong. that
0: answer. I may no. be dead wrong. <laughs> <laughs> I hope you're right because I, I love that answer. That's, that's the one that I'd always like to hear. Um, well, I'd, I'd feel stupid if I didn't ask. You, you've talked a lot about punch and, and how important that is to you guys and something you work every day. And it's something that I honestly haven't worked enough on. So, what are some of the drills that you guys do to emphasize uh, being good punchers?
1: We work uh, – I love the pan sled for all my run game stuff. I work the pan sled quite a bit. And I've actually started using it for our pass set game too where we're working a, a power set inside and punch. It's a lower target. It's a, it's a smaller target. It teaches them to keep – like I said, when I keep my hands low and, and, and high, both inside and out, and we're punched to a central target, that really helps them kind of get that going to where we're having to punch and grab a hold where it's not just punch with the heel of our hand, we're punched with our fingers up and grabbing and rolling so that we can have a chance to grab much more cloth and, uh, you know, breastplate if we possibly can. Um, it's just, it gives you a little bit more leeway. I think if you punch your thumbs up, you got to be so much more exact with your timing on when you can grab the breastplate. I think if you have fingers up and roll it, where you twist and grab, you got a much bigger chance of at least getting something, even if it's not the breastplate. You've got a good handful of jersey right there ready to get after it. We do that. We do, of course, the line punch on the five-man sled where we work a you know a power inside set and we work a flat, you know, just a normal kick set. Um, we also work what well, we do an inside and out where you're having to do both. my my, my line punch is slow and controlled good leverage extension full extension head out hands out um when we do the inside out we're working the you're working the two interior bags and the two out uh, exterior bags leaving the middle one alone you're setting out with your outside foot back you're punching fast you're you know you're you're moving quicker lateral where it's a punch here punch out and punch back in they've got to move and get after it but i don't want them punching until their hands are in the center of the pad. Hmm. That's when you get them out when they're trying to punch out. I love that one. And then I do a I do a corner of the field deal where I put four guys and it's hard to explain. I put two on the in on the sideline and two on the in end line where it creates just a little kind of angle right there. Mm -hmm. And we work right foot back first and left foot back and then left foot back where it works they've got to keep their shoulders square to the corner of the end zone and it teaches them when to punch on a kick set so you don't punch until you see the full middle when you're kick setting a lot of guys like i said they'll try to do that turn and run technique and that just odd oh, it makes them so mad when guys do that i hate that so that makes them have to sit there and stay in that kick slide until that guy's right down your midline to where you can punch so it teaches a kick slide and a pound on an inside move all at the same time. And you get four punches in pretty quick. And that allows us to roll through. Plus, you're punching your teammates every time you're practicing, hitting a pad, grabbing the jersey, grabbing the, the breastplate. It's not just a, a dummy on a sled. So that's, Coach, how I, how my, that's how I work all the time. How much one-on-one pass pro do you guys do? 15 minutes a day. We get guys- two, we get three periods. We get three periods of it. Now some days we'll do 10 minute one-on-ones, 5 minute twist pickup. Some days we'll do 5 minute one-on-ones, 10 minutes twist pickup depending on what we're going to see through that week. But Tuesday, it's usually all one on ones Wednesday and Thursday, it's 10 minutes of one-on-ones, 5 minutes of twist pickup. And then Friday, obviously nothing. So we work at three days, 15 minutes, three periods a day. And then is
0: your uh, twist pickup, is that a full line?
1: Uh, We will do – we'll do – we're a half slide team. So I'll do man side, man side, slide side, man side, man side, slide side. So the center gets two reps sliding with it. So we're picking up a twist as a man side. We're picking up a twist as a slide side as well. Gotcha. Nice. Well, perfect, Coach. That was
0: awesome, man. That was uh, – we had a blast. You know, we know you're extremely busy. Obviously, now you're on spring break. So, uh, we know you're taking some time out of your spring break to talk some football with us. So, uh, we're extremely excited that you did, and, and we got a bunch out of it. And as, as offensive line nerds like I am, and <laughs> Coach Walls is, it was, um, it was exactly what we like to, to talk about. Yeah, it was refreshing.
1: (laughs) We appreciate it, man. And anybody's always welcome with us. Y'all can come, whoever it is, across the country. Y'all can come watch film, sit in on meetings, go to practices, whatever y'all want. Our spring schedule is up online on the NSU Demon Football Twitter page. Uh, We welcome anybody at any time. We'll share film, whatever you need. We want guys to, to learn and love and do this thing for the right reasons.